Hello, you've tuned in to the slightly delayed eighth episode in a second series of podcasts in which Australian communists, all born after World War II, talk about why they joined the Communist Party of Australia, the CPA, their experiences as communists, and what they're up to now. I'm Stephen Ricks, one of those communists, and I was born in 1957. It is quite likely that, at various times in this episode, you will hear the equipment used to build a set of steps next door. Sorry. This episode continues directly from episode 7, and so we hear another six people speak about their decision not to join, or in some cases, to leave the ALP. As I said in episode 7, for many, the decision to join the CPA was closely related to their reason for not joining, or leaving, the ALP, and for some, it was the same reason. The positive reasons for joining the CPA heard in previous episodes contrast markedly with the negative reasons for rejecting the ALP. Rod Noble recognised, both through his experiences domestically and internationally, that the whole system needed changing, and only the CPA was committed to that degree of change. Thus, his reasons for joining the CPA are the same reasons for not joining the ALP. Oh, well, that, that was quite quite clear. Um, I Well, that was the crucial thing. All of my travels, everything, um, I, I realised pretty, pretty quickly that the whole system needed to be changed mm. and um, that uh, it, it was, you know, the Communist Party was, was the organisation that, that had that view and uh, of changing the whole system. And, uh, you know, there was no mucking around, really, at the edges. <laughs> so um, uh, that, that, was, that, was, that was the party for me. Christine Alsop never considered joining the ALP. The politics of the ALP were weaker, not left-wing enough. It is also interesting to hear her explain why voting for the ALP may be the only option in an electoral sense. All I can say about the ALP is that I never considered it. Um, not for a minute. Um, I know some other people who were, were around student politics at that time, and I heard, I can't remember his last name, one of, the, one of them was on the radio briefly this morning. But their politics just seemed weaker. I think that's just a, maybe that's a weak way of saying it. Not left-wing enough. Not left-wing enough. So, um, yeah, joining the ALP was never a question. I mean, in terms of elections, you know, often voting for the ALP is the only real option unless, you know, some for me, some people might take the position, well, don't vote because there's nobody good enough, but I don't take that position. Paul Kaplan, in the 1970s, saw himself as, a way, as way to the left of the ALP, and the CPA 
was pretty influential on campus, in contrast to the utterly reformist ALP. The decision to join the CPA was, therefore, a no-brainer. In those days, the 70s, I saw myself way to the left of the ALP. Uh, As a student, I was part of the the, uh, uh, Communist Party, and uh, we were pretty influential in the student movement in those days, the 70s. Um, So, and the ALP weren't in those days. Uh, So, I saw the ALP as just purely reformist. Um, I saw myself way to the left of the ALP, and uh, it just became really, at at that stage, a no-brainer that I would that the ALP was was way off my radar. Greg Giles had some experience of the ALP growing up in a Labor electorate and saw how Labor would renege on commitments once in office. He was also aware of the self-serving behaviour of some ALP politicians. At university, it was the more radical student movements which attracted him. He never saw the ALP as a way of achieving the radical changes which he saw as necessary. But Greg is not shy about acknowledging the positive role even right-wing Labor could sometimes play. Um, I guess I picked up a little bit of my, you know, I had experience with the ALP and also my father's view of it, um, which was, you know, he was friendly and be, being in a semi-rural area, which is a strong ALP electorate, you know, a lot of his uh, mates and friends politically were Labor Party people, you know, the local unionists and local Labor left people and so on. But, you know, I, I guess I picked up that thing that, you know, that they that they were, you know, when they got into office, they were soft and they took the benefits of office and, you know, um, those sorts of things. So... I guess there was a little bit of that going on, and then at university, um, it was the it was the more radical student organisations rather than the than the Labor Club, mm. where you know you could go in and talk about things that were exciting to you, like you know revolution and overthrowing the system and you know abolishing you know abortion laws and all of those sorts of things, and you could just go in there and talk freely and say what you liked without having to tiptoe around them or satisfy, you know, people within the organisation that might disagree with you, you know. Um, so I guess that was that was where, I, you know, I fell. And, again, it was, wasn't so much a conscious decision. I just never saw anything in my interactions with them that made me think that they were going to be particularly helpful to do the things that I was interested in or that were going to change things in a way that was going to make things um, so much better quickly. Um, Very I mean, I never, you know, I never had any direct negative things usually in my interactions with Labor Party people and I knew they were, and, in fact, often they were positive. You know, Bert James, our local MP, was, you know, one of those old-fashioned sort of socially right-wing but, but you know, industrially and, and, and in terms of his view of socialism, economically very left-wing Labor traditionalist, you know, and more than once when we got you know, pinged for putting up posters or, you know, arrested in demos and stuff. Bert, who used to be an ex-senior detective before he became a parliamentarian, would make the call to the, the station sergeant and say, oh, you know, I hear you've got so-and-so in there, you know, look, 
he's, he's okay, you know, just why don't you just keep him in overnight and he'll learn his lesson or whatever, you know. So, you know, I'm not saying that they, they were doing a bad job, but, um, yeah, but it just didn't, uh, you know, it was, it was partly a youthful thing, I suppose, you know, but sitting in, sitting in Long Branch meetings and all of that sort of stuff wasn't the thing I wanted to do at that age, which was probably why I didn't walk straight into the Communist Party as well, you know. Anne Price, even at high school, was an ALP activist and joined the ALP in her first year at university. It was the ALP Catholic right and their anti-abortion policy which led to Anne's disaffection with Labor and it was meeting communists in the student movement which led her to leaving the ALP and joining the CPA. Well, I, I actually, even in high school, I was um, a very much a, a Labor Party supporter, as my family were, um, and I volunteered and I, I worked for the Labor Party before I left school, volunteering in their electoral offices. When I went to university, I joined the Labor Party for the first year that I was at university, um, and I thought that that was the way that I was going to go. But in the early 80s, the Labor Party in Western Australia was very much controlled, influenced by the Catholic right, who had a very strong anti-abortion contraception philosophy. And as a young 20-year-old, and, and obviously at university I was part of the Student Guild and I was part of the Women's Association, Women's Collective, and I just thought, I just didn't know what planet these people were on coming and telling me that, you know, that they were anti-abortion and anti-contraception. It was just so out of step with, with my life and my beliefs. So, um, so I became disaffected with the Labor Party. And, I, I mean, I, get, I came from a state school, didn't really know, I'd never really met um, Catholics in some sense as well. So that, so that whole business, um, I just couldn't be, deal with it. And so... As part of being part of the Student Guild, I also met people who were members of the Communist Party, so and feminists who are members of the Communist Party, feminists who are radical feminists as well. And to me, the people, the women in the Communist Party and then the men in the Communist Party seem to have a much better understanding and a much more, um, yeah, a better understanding of things that I believed in than the right wing of the Labor Party that was sort of in control at that time. So I moved over and joined the Communist Party from the Labor Party. The next voice you will hear briefly is Abe Davids, and he is speaking about why he didn't join the ALP after the CPA dissolved. In previous episodes, we have already heard that Abe was a Maoist activist before joining the CPA. And so, unlike for many of us, for him, it was never a choice between the CPA and the ALP. Go into the Labor Party, which I toyed with, but I couldn't, re I realised that you would just be in a period of massive compromise. There was no way you were going to be able to develop a radical agenda in this period of history. You've been listening to the voices of six Australian communists, all born after World War II, talk about their decisions not to join, or, in some cases, to leave, the ALP. In the next episode, 
The last seven of the 23 people interviewed for this podcast series speak about their decisions not to join or to leave the ALP. This has been episode 8 of a second podcast series for which 23 people were interviewed between October 2021 and September 2022. Helen Randerson had the idea for interviewing post-war communists after the release of Comrades, a book made up of short bios of communists. That book was released in 2020, the centenary of the formation of the party. You can obtain that book from bookstores or the Search Foundation. Dr Mick Patton helped with the podcast technicals. Thanks for listening and see you next time.